1: You're about to hear an episode from Kung Gusto Mo Pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series. It's a podcast where changemakers across generations discuss how we can keep pounding the rock. If you enjoy it, share it with a friend and follow Kung Gusto Mo Nang Pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series on your podcast app. Pound the Rock is the story of the stone
2: cutter, the lonely person? He goes to the mountain every day and pounds the rock to make the stone. Was it the last strike that made the stone? But the answer is no. Every single strike, every moment, whether in times of victory or frustration, what you do every day
3: will make the difference.
2: Chito Gascon dedicated his life to defending democracy and human rights. Although many people know him as the late chairperson of the Commission on Human Rights of the Philippines, he started his career as a student leader, as a youth organizer. Even as a young person, he already had a strong and abiding faith in the power of the youth and the inevitability of change and reform. It's in that spirit that three organizations come together to create this podcast. Asia Society Philippines, Puma Podcast, and Bukas Conversations for Action. You're listening to "Kung Gusto Mo ng Pagbabago," the Gascon Leadership Series. I'm your host, Robbie Alampay. In each episode, you will hear from an experienced change maker. You'll also hear from a panel of young reform advocates who will then discuss the seemingly invincible rocks or challenges that we must pound on today. Our guest today is a veteran journalist and a professor at the Graduate School of Journalism in Columbia University. She is the director of the Stabil Center for Investigative Journalism, the founder of the Philippine Center for Investigative Journalism, Aramon Magsaysay Awardee for Journalism. Welcome, Sheila Coronel.
3: Well, thank you for inviting me to be here. And with such young people, it's always refreshing to be with people from another generation.
2: Okay, Sheila, you you were executive director and co-founder, as we said, of the PCIJ. You've written books on Philippine politics, on freedom of information. You've shown the light on corruption many times in your career, really affecting politics and government and governance in the Philippines. Tell us... From your experience, the power of journalism and storytelling.
3: So, I started out journalism in the 1980s during the Marcos era. It was a time of information scarcity, and the press was very controlled. They were directed from the presidential palace about what should be on the front pages. Um, we weren't even allowed to show photographs of Imelda Marcos with her double chin. So, Marcos, Fernando Marcos, always had to be strong, Imelda always had to be beautiful. So my thought was that uh, once we were free, you know, my, my concept of freedom was that the press would be allowed to publish freely and disseminate information freely. And I've seen, you know, certainly um, fighting press contributing to the downfall of a dictatorship. I saw that with my own eyes from 1983 up to 1986. I saw the power of an informed citizenry.
2: Okay. Now, fast forward to 2022. The media faces challenges that are, let's say, vastly different from 40 years ago. What keeps you up at night when it comes to to that power that we discussed? The power, the relevance, the influence of journalism, of storytelling?
3: What keeps me up at night is, is that my whole notion of what constitutes press freedom at a time not of information scarcity but of information overload, of information abundance, is no longer the withholding of information but the suppression and manipulation of information by you know bad actors, troll armies, disinformation armies, a different type of censorship, a different type of media manipulation from what we saw during the Marcus era. There were you know, early martial lawyers. There were military censors in newspapers, blacking out um, text from journalists. That's no longer the case, but this time it's censorship in a much more insidious form, in a situation of information abundance.
2: Mm, in fact, it's an overwhelming flow of data and information, and it's made even more challenging by by algorithms. Organized troll armies and a lot of things that uh, a lot of us can't explain. Sheila, let's let me bring in our second guest. Atom Aralio is younger, but he's also an established journalist who's with GMA News and Public Affairs. He's taken his storytelling from television to YouTube to social media. Ikaw, Atom, how do you feel about the public's control and ability? To wade through all of this content, all of this information.
0: In some ways, uh, we are reminded not to take anything for granted because, for the longest time, we took it for granted that the truth trumps lies. Yung nakakatawot dito, yung democratization ng access to the internet, access to platforms such as Facebook. Uh, Twitter, and and Google that has the potential to reach millions of people. A short five years ago, people would have said, this is a great thing. This will revolutionize the way we talk to each other, uh, the way we relate to our leaders, and so on. But I remember something that Montaigne said, that the reverse of truth has a hundred thousand shapes and a limitless field. Kung sana yung Yung kasinungalingan, madaling baliktarin dahil lang opposite niya katotohanan. Mas madaling malaman kung nasaan tayo eh, Pero dahil sa kapag binaliktad mo yung katotohanan, pwede kang humugot sa kahit saan eh. <laughs> ang hirap magkaroon ng footing sa ganung klaseng environment. Because even when you try sincerely to have a good conversation, uh, a discussion with people that you meet online, um, all it takes for them to... To kind of drown you out is just to, to say anything, really. <laughs> that is the opposite of truth. But people who, who want to, to ferret out the truth, among them journalists, among them scientists uh, and historians, they are limited to, to what the truth uh, affords them. You know? So they have to stick with what is real. It makes our job all that harder. What keeps me up at night is at this stage, I still don't know what, to do with it. <laughs> Ibig sabihin parang um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing battle and uh, I feel that marami pa tayong pagdadaanan bago natin maabot kung ano man yung, mm. yung, yung sagot sa, sa problema.
2: Okay, let's get another perspective on this. Tanungin naman natin si Rev Atadero. He is a theater actor na baka kilala niyo siya mula sa hit musical na Ang Huling El Bimbo. And bukod sa intablado, may isa pang platform si Reb kung saan patok na patok siya. Certainly he understands that platform better than us, Sheila and Atom. Reb, you use TikTok to counter all this misinformation and disinformation that Atom was talking about. But now your generation is consuming more content than ever. What is your sense? What is your confidence, if at all, in whether your generation is consuming proper content and reliable information over these platforms that you've chosen to be involved with.
4: The thing about being confident enough in in the in the information that you're getting, uh, it also varies. I have to say, it also varies uh, on your let's face it, on your educational. Uh, level and what kind of institutions that you learn these from. I was fortunate enough to go to one of the prestigious universities in the Philippines. Right, so for me, it was very clear that I would rather believe a a, a website that is a journalism website or a news site, right, instead of somebody just telling me or sabi ng lolo ko, sabi ng lola ko nung ng ganito, ganyan. But on TikTok, since people like me who don't have a journalism background can just spew whatever i want you cannot account for the responsibility of people who are on it and people who uh like in my generation and gen z we did we grew up in this information age where you know you click something and it's there it's readily available our attention spans are short tiktok is great at that because tiktok is limited to a minute to three minutes not even youtube uh, i mean youtube can do 10 minutes something like that right but uh, 10 minutes to however long you want. But TikTok is readily available. It's there. It's fast. Everybody goes there for quick uh, entertainment, fun. Uh, but most of the time also, especially now during election season, it's misinformation. There's a lot of that going on in there.
2: Mm, let me bring in uh, Saiza. Saiza is uh, Asia Society Philippines Young Leader, Saiza Bakani. Uh, she's made a name for herself in street and documentary photography and Saiza your work is almost it's almost anti-social media divine in a sense because you have time to curate to be thoughtful about what you want to convey in your images it takes time to, to to develop to print this out to hold exhibits for that matter to produce books out of it But undeniably, you're also a product of social media. Your photos, of course, gain traction through likes and shares. Most people know you not necessarily through having gone through your exhibits or having bought your books, but really with your photos having gone viral and being shared and being contemplated on. How do you see your generation, the millennials, handling all the information on social media and whatever messages you want to convey?
1: One thing that, that social media has done is um, truth become negotiable. And I think mm-hmm. if you ask me what keeps me up at night, that is that what keeps me up at night. Because my practice, na la yung mga long form documentaries, the social media, because everyone has nowadays very short attention span. Like, even though you post something that is really important that might affect someone else's lives or i'm telling a story na nakakaapekto sa kanila when i post it on social media na not going to eh because natatabunan madaling mm. tabunan sa social media ang ang bines that's why as a photographer i went back to traditional because tradition like printing books because in that way, mas nagkakaroon ng non-shelflighting ng story. And there's more mm. chances for people to actually read the story rather than just post it on social media. Like, I think I've done stories na, na sometimes dismayado ako kasi it doesn't reach the audience that I want to reach because pag-post mo ng, ng social media, then suddenly mag-ginawa si Duterte, wala na. Mm. Like, bumahing lang siya. Yun na yung laman ng balita
2: I'm sure our next guest can relate to that, size Let's bring in Kat Ventura. Kat, you're an executive producer for news at Puma Podcast, but you're also producing for One News, the news channel of Signal TV. You're still, therefore, in a traditional broadcasting network producing content like Atom, but at the same time you know the game you need to play online since you're also producing podcasts. What are the dynamics that you see between these two? The traditional and the new? And how is your generation, or for that matter, the new generation of audience responding to all of this?
5: The traditional media doesn't know how to use social media in in that sense. Because how we treat it and how we produce stories and how we break the news online, it's usually just with art cards. And it's just usually the headlines. Because we also understand that people won't really read the whole article. Mm. So, We'll caption, headlines. And I think that's why yung sen saber ni full It's because they're only reading the first few lines. And because it's only that's also all we're giving them. And then we're just counting on the fact that they're gonna click the link and then they're gonna read the whole article, which doesn't always happen. Which is not the fact. <laughs> and I do get that a lot from um from my friends as well, parang they would send art cards. As in, it's just usually the art cards. Kasi that's usually, it's the visual post na madaling i-share sa mga kaibigan mo. So they would send it to me, sabihin na, tama ba to? Parang, oh my God, nakita mo ba na ito yung nangyari? Ganyan, ganyan. Tapos sabihin ko lang, oh nga, pero binasa mo ba? Tapos hindi ko rin mm. sila minsan masisi. Kasi minsan, yun lang din yung nilagay natin eh. Hindi natin yeah. binigay yung full context. So maybe mm. traditional media, we try to keep up with them. But you also have to understand that we can't, by, by keeping up with, with them, we also can't conform them to our standards. We can't keep telling them that, no, this is your duty to read the whole thing.
2: Uh, on the other hand, you look at TikTok um, and they have reach. And I see a lot of people trying to use the platform and trying to have uh, the cake and eat it, eat it too in the sense that they can use this platform to Provide context, we they're trying to use this platform for journalism and get the reach. Reb, is it possible to do uh, to provide more context? Is not in 160 characters but in one minute. And what, are, um, what have you seen? Uh,
4: no, I don't think it is uh, entirely possible. That's why there are a lot of people do part twos, part threes, part fours, part fives on TikTok because you know they're they're short. Uh, and uh, I still believe that. Uh, For for, for you to be able to get the context, you still need some sort of longer form of storytelling. Because if, for example, I saw a TikTok video that's one minute claiming that there is some hidden gold somewhere, right? If I were discerning enough and I I would think critically about it, I'd go, okay, wait. Is that true? Right? This healthy level of skepticism that you have because really? So now I go search it. I go search it somewhere else, right? But that's the thing. N- not a lot of that's people. That's you. Exactly. Do, that's yeah, you. Right? Uh-huh. Exactly. So it, it's more about passing on the information yeah. rather than checking the information. ikawa Atom, how do you deal with this? How are you supposed to tackle the challenge
2: of having smaller readerships, smaller audiences in traditional media or having a public who only wants to consume what is bite-sized and therefore they don't get the whole story?
0: You know, I've been listening to to everyone speaking. I actually, I have a lot of thoughts, and and um, uh, I'm learning obviously a lot of things. But the first thing I will say is there's really no space to lose hope. I mean, uh, we we know that. And for for journalists, for example, even if you know you're faced with the challenge of uh, a smaller audience, let's just say if if you're producing uh, work that is not as consumable as, say, a, a minute and a half or a 10-second TikTok video, for that matter, or a graphics card. So we continue to to push on that front, we cognizant that um, these changes might not happen quickly, not in a year, not in in five years, maybe not even in 10 years. If we look back at history, there have been moments where um, you know it's also an ebb and flow. For example, when civilization, let's just say, descended into uh, a more a more primitive version of, of getting the truth no um, before the age of enlightenment it was a long time that people were in in that kind of situation and um, it took years it took a hundred years before um, a different way of looking at at uh, society took over um, everything at the stake for example in this election mm. it might well be that this is just the beginning of a longer struggle and that this is yeah. just uh, one of the of the battles
2: in a longer war. Mm-hmm. Kat, you wanted to say something.
5: Going back to the platform, I was just thinking about it. Um, my point wasn't that we should um, put in all of the information in 140 characters on Twitter. I just think we have to think of a different way to approach social media instead of just using it as a platform to push other articles. Maybe social media is just social maybe we should use it to have conversations because tama po yung mga natin and your realizations ira any atom that, uh, surprisingly people want explainers surprisingly mm. people do like documentaries we've seen that in teka teka when we launched the teka teka news podcast we kept tried to keep it under 5 minutes but then the feedback from people was we wanted more don't don't keep it under 5 and so that actually gave birth to teka Explains. And now we have a podcast that's 15 to 20 minutes long. And it's a podcast explainer because I think people are looking for conversations. And I did mention I, I think ko na rin po kay Sir Robbie one time. Na after the KDP forum debate, me and other people were looking for conversations. On so on Twitter, I wasn't looking for the highlights that came out of that debate. I was looking for a twitter space where i could talk to karen and see what and hear what she has to say as a moderator of that debate and there was an available platform for it and i was listening to other strangers them giving their two cents on what was happening so i think the media media traditional and the new media we still have time to adapt we just have to see this in a different way don't just use the platform to release quick videos or graphics. Maybe we should give people more chance to also have their voices be heard and listen to them and also talk to them and have that conversation.
2: Hmm, ka do. You, you raise something important, Katno, and that's the need on the part of media to listen, listen to their audience and from there figure out what they need together. But definitely what we are all in agreement on with regarding to what the public needs is education. Sheila, that's that's long-haul. That's long-term. What can we do right now?
3: Let me just say, education is a problem. But I think we should also think about algorithmic censorship. It's Mm. The social media platforms are responsible for creating a toxic media space for providing incentives for disinformation and shareable news and fake news. Right. So the responsibility is on a lot of the responsibility falls on these platforms and they're preying on, you know, long standing, uh, what we can call pre-existing conditions in our society, um, education, polarization, democratic erosion. I don't think that we should blame. It's like blaming the victim here. Because I see people are victims of algorithms that have been created elsewhere about over which they have no agency, right? So it's not education so much that I put the blame on. I put the blame on social media companies that are profiting from a toxic information landscape.
2: Okay. So platforms must be held accountable. What's your take on this, Atom? Where does your faith lie in battling disinformation?
0: I absolutely agree with Sheila about the responsibility of social media platforms and also the the shortcomings of our current educational system, which, by the way, uh, is controlled by people in power. So uh, there's something to say about that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also we have to remember that uh, information and education it's not a profit making enterprise it shouldn't be and I think that many of the ways that we get our information nowadays is driven by by profit you know we have corporate media even the social media platforms they're primarily primarily driven by by profit by clicks right so parang in that kind of space uh, it's really easy to to drown out uh Information that is more nuanced, that takes more time to digest, and so on. Kaya nga kahit yung mga educational institutions, they're having a hard time because there's no funding. <laughs> Kasi parang, um, people want to, for example, in UP, you know, we have to fight for the budget year after year because um, the prevailing idea that, you know, I just want to finish four years of, of college, get a job, and then earn uh, is is more powerful than, say, we have to invest in in sciences and engineering, even if it doesn't make money right now. It contributes to you know a scientific way of thinking for the entire for for the Philippines and also uh, industrialization and so on. Pero parang uh, since most of our sources of information or streams of information are driven by clicks, driven by uh, ratings, driven by by profit, I think that, that is a major source of. Uh, um, distortion in terms of how we perceive the world.
2: Okay, salamat, Adam. Now, I also asked a disinformation expert about this recently, si Jonathan Ong, uh, because inevitably the platforms, as it has here in our conversation, the platforms always come up. The platforms, as, as Sheila has said, they have to be transparent. The platforms have to be more accountable, not just to us, but to democracy all over the world. But, you all know the thing. We're we're always told, you worry about what you can control. So I asked Jonathan, and I'm asking you now, where do we categorize platforms? Is that something that we tell ourselves, I have control over how social media is going to behave or how platforms behave? Or do we categorize platforms under that something beyond our control? Ikaw, Sheila, what do you think?
3: I think... There are many changes now happening in terms of regulating social media in Europe, in the U.S., and that is because of what is happening in countries like the Philippines or Myanmar or elsewhere. So I, I think it all contributes to you know, increasing pressure on the social media companies to do something. But then it's very difficult because you're basically asking them to change the revenue model basically asking them to give up the way they make profits. But we do have agency over what we consume on social media and what we post on social media and what we believe and what we share on social media. And I think if we take individual responsibility, that's one, one step forward. And if we take pains like Siza does to correct, to engage or like what Rev does, to engage people in recreating a public sphere in this wilderness then maybe maybe it's possible but it takes a lot of effort and this is the problem because we don't have no power to automate we have no incentives you know we we don't own the business the algorithms we don't control but there are certain things we can control and those things we can act on
2: One of the inspirations for this series is Chito Gascon's favorite parable, which you heard at the start of this episode. The parable of the stonecutter. Sabi niya, you keep pounding on that rock and eventually it will crack. Eventually you'll get stones out of it. And when it does crack, it's not because of the last strike. He says, it is all the strikes. Whether that was struck in a moment of frustration or in a moment of victory, Chito said. Now, if these elections turn out to be a moment of frustration and we eventually have a government that was largely a product of fake news and misinformation, what will be our takeaway as journalists and storytellers, Sheila?
3: So I've been there. What you do is you're still witness to history and maybe it's the Dark Ages, but you're one of the monks making these illuminated manuscripts, uh, preserving the knowledge for the future, recording, witnessing and recording history so that when all of this is over and someone searches through the rubble, they will find those scraps of truth that they will be able to know what happened and at some point there will
5: be accountability. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think maybe it's my youth, but I I guess the optimistic answer is just keep trying, try harder the next time. I just remember in 2019 when, you know, the Ocho de Retro had a hard time getting into the Senate, and now we think about their campaign strategy, like what did they, what were they not able to do? And I think we are taking steps to try to change or try to adapt to the voters as well to see what will work and what we haven't tried
1: Saisa? I do think that we need to go back to what uh, Chito Gascon have said and Sheila and Atom has mentioned a while ago. We don't stop. Yes, it's tiring, but we don't stop. You keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it until you get your points across, your message across.
4: If, if I may, lang, no? about the, uh, the, I, I, I cannot help but nod along with what everybody is saying. Um, it is true, I've tried it. One-on-one conversations, I've tried it. I've done live streams where people just talk to me. So really coming together and having a
2: conversation, that's already a big deal. That's also one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast, uh, bridging older activists and advocates with younger ones and then having a conversation about what it took, what it is taking, and what it will still take to effect change. So my final question to everyone is this, what do you say your generation can learn from the other generations?
4: I'll start with you, Reb. From the older generation, I think uh, the best thing that we can learn from them is to take it slow, you know, to actually look deeper into things. Like, for example, before, like uh, what what Mishila was saying and uh, what Kat was saying, um, you take the time to click, right? Click on that link and actually read what it's about. Gain context. For the younger gen, because there is a generation that's younger than the millennials now, which is the Gen Z. I what I like about the Gen Z is that they are very courageous to call out something when it's wrong. They're they're very courageous to challenge uh, norms in society, right? So uh, I I suppose uh, these are things that we can all marry and uh, find solutions that way, uh, so that we don't get drowned out. In, into this whole, uh, oh my God! It's a tidal wave of information that we don't know, right? We don't, we don't know what information to take. Okay, uh, Saiza
1: If there's one thing I could learn from my elders, not to repeat their mistake. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> things out. this is such a heavy conversation to have before midnight. I wanna sleep later. So um I do think that if there's one thing that I can learn from um uh, my past generation, from my from our ancestors, is having the uh ha- having more patience. As Rena's been saying. Patience is something that's been Slowly losing its <laughs> value lately because we just want the instant gratification and to be patient and to actually get out of you know your comfort zone and get out there, have a conversation with someone. and I do think that we, nowadays we just have, we're just we're in a box, you know we're leaving in a box laptop, iPhone, computer, whatever. So if there's one thing I could learn from them is the fact that they went out there they had conversation with people, they did their job, and they keep pounding until now. So I want to have that, and I want to learn that. Yeah.
2: Okay,
5: I think if there's one thing I can learn from the veteran journalists, it's uh, to never stop questioning. This is not just for younger gen- journalists like me. It's for everyone. Just don't stop questioning. Keep asking the questions because I think um, our generation, we are fed with disinformation And we are fed with misinformation. So don't settle with what they're feeding you. Just keep pounding the rock. Keep asking questions. And I think that's what toppled dictators before. And I think that's why um, kayo po, you're still here. Because you continue to ask questions and you're encouraging us to ask questions.
2: Ikaw Atom?
0: I think I want to answer that question by saying that uh, the worst thing that can happen is that we're going around in circles. We always say that these are struggles that we have experienced before. Um, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, it was um, the EDSA uprising. Um, I'm talking about EDSA too. And then before that, there was the first EDSA uprising. So, para ang tanong dito is, bakit paulit ulit lang chaka inevitable ba. Na every few years or every few decades, ng cycle at renewal ng mga bagay na, na natin dati. Um So I think it's very important to to ask the question, and I think a lot of the older generation um, really ask this: is what are we doing wrong, uh, and how has democracy uh, in its current form failed people to the extent that um, they are susceptible to? To empty promises and to um, you know the return of um, of authoritarianism, we have a more I guess a wider understanding of um, the way society works and the forces that are are pushing history in one direction or the other, uh, so that we are not caught up in just focusing on this moment and, and thinking that all of our problems you know uh, were born five or ten years ago when when social media came about right.
2: Sheila, we invited you as an, as an elder <clears throat> but, I, but I also want to invite you to, to also share representing your generation, what can martial law babies and even older Filipinos in general learn from this current generation, you think?
3: I think the ease of technology and please figure out how this technology can be used for the good. Of, of democracy and of humanity I think the younger generation is also much more aware of the urgency of addressing the future of the planet the fact that we are in real crisis that they will inherit all of these problems I wish them luck
2: I, I think no, I don't think Sheila was uh, driven by patience <laughs> I don't think that generation you know the reality is that 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 generation, uh, was at that moment when they were the millennials, when when we were the ones um, in the streets, when we were the ones entering the field for the first time, everybody had a sense of urgency also and impatience. Yeah. Now We want the change now. We want the change now. But I think that's the whole um, virtue of having an intergenerational conversation. It's a reminder to... The, to, to the young people, that the old people were young ones. We know how it feels. Okay. Um, and at the same time, a reminder from the older yeah. generation to the young generation na tatandarin kayo. <laughs> and, and you will learn to deal with a lot of frustrations. It will not all be moments of victory. There will be a lot of moments of frustration, perhaps more uh, in between those moments of victory. And that's part of The legacy and the lessons that we learned from Chito Gascon, who was pounding away until, uh, literally, until until we said goodbye to him. But everything, hopefully, here in conversations such as this, connect all of us, connect us across generations, um, not just with shared problems, uh, but also with shared dreams, shared aspirations. Hopefully, we're getting shared inspiration from each other as well. And that's our second episode of Kung Gusto Mo ng Pagbabago, the Chito Gascon Leadership Series. If you liked what you heard, share this podcast with a friend who I think will appreciate the conversation as well. This is a podcast by Asia Society Philippines, Puma Podcast, and Bukas Conversations for Action. If you want to hear the full conversation, go to Asia Society Philippines on Facebook and watch the video there. Again, I'm your host, Robbie Alampay. Thank you again to our guests, Sheila Coronel, Kat Ventura, Sai Sabacani, Reb Atadero, and Atom Araulio. This episode was written by Faith Navarro. It was edited by Nico Bolante with additional support from Siege Tantenko and Kit Martoto. We're very grateful, of course, to the family of Mr. Gascon for allowing us to use his name and to honor and celebrate what he stood for. Thank you also to Wise Owl for letting us use that clip of Chito Gascon at an event of that group of seasoned activists and advocates, Samasa. For conversations on how we can use communication to create social change, listen to the podcast we made with Wise Owl, that's Give a Hoot, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.